1 John chapter 5, and this is going to be kind of like a Bible study, verse-by-verse approach to studying these verses. So uh, what I want to do is to start by reading the whole section to you together in context so it doesn't feel disjointed. And just, just get that, let it sink in. You don't have to take notes, if you can if you want, but just let this sink in. And really I want you to particularly listen to um, the gravity of what John is saying here. He's doing some pretty powerful speaking to you and me this morning. So just let this sink in and then we will go into our verse by verse. So here we go in verse one, he says this. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Let's keep going. Verse 6. This is the one who came by the water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony But God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony of God, the testimony God has given about his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. How many know that's some strong language from John? Those are some powerful, bottom line, black and white statements that John's making. And it's because of these bold writings that John has earned a nickname from Jesus himself. Does anybody know what John's nickname is? I heard it. Son of Thunder. That's a rad nickname. Jesus is going to give you a nickname. Son of Thunder. That's an awesome nickname. So I want to talk about the significance of that name. This isn't something that I believe that Jesus just threw out casually like, oh, Son of Thunder, bro. Like, he used this on purpose. I want to talk about Thunder. Have you ever experienced, like, let me ask you this question. What happens... When a huge peal of thunder cracks right over your head, how does it make you feel? Shout out an answer to me. Fear. Fear. What? Small. Huh? More. Give me some more. Small. Amazed. Good. Those are good words. I wrote down, I wrote down small too. Humble. There's something much bigger than me and my ego out there, right? You could go on and on. And it reminds me of a couple years ago, I think it was 2019, maybe 18, on the 4th of July, where um, my family and I, we were watching all of the 
uh, fireworks over on Cheyenne Mountain where you could kind of oversee the whole city. It's awesome. You should all go there uh, and watch it every year because we could see everything. We could see Memorial Park doing theirs. We could see Fort Carson. You could see Broadmoor. You could see Cheyenne Mountain Resort. You could see everything up north. And then you could see like the Wild West, which is called Security Wide Field. It was like, boom, 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 boom. Crazy. Y'all are crazy. And you're known for it in town. And we're watching it, and every once in a while, like a big one would go off close to us, you know? And it was like, whoa! The whole family, like, whoa! Everybody, shock and awe. You feel it in your chest, you know? The big one happens, you get a little scared. It's like, man, this is awesome. What a great way to celebrate. Well, that night, uh, if you remember, it rained. And um, it was just like a drizzle, so they didn't cancel the fireworks, which was great. But it was raining, and out of nowhere, this crack of lightning came from what looked like monument all the way down to like Pueblo and just splintered through the whole sky. And I'm telling you, we almost hit the ground. And that crack of thunder didn't just hit you in the chest, man. You felt the earth shake. And we were like terrified in a good way. And it just put into perspective like, oh, those fireworks are cute (laughs) compared to God, right? You just go, wow, thunder reminds you that there's a God who's in charge, amen? And while that God loves you, he's the boss. A loud crash of thunder creates a good fear of the Lord. Thunder puts you in your place. We were like, got it, we won't forget who's in charge here. Jesus called John one of the sons of thunder. He and his brother James had a very bold and aggressive personality. And they refused to be pushed around when it came to the things of God. I love that about them. The sons of thunder were the opposite of passive men. They weren't beta males. They were alpha. And the name is given to them in Mark chapter 3. It's just a list of the disciples, and and he calls them the sons of thunder. But it's believed that the story in Luke chapter 9 is where that nickname came from. And I want to read it to you because it's important to know who's talking to you in this scripture that I just read before. So Luke 9, 51, it's, it's talking about Jesus. When the days drew near for Jesus to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. Like, hey, I'm getting ready to go to Jerusalem. Can you guys just go make preparations? But the people did not receive him. Uh Uh-oh. Because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, you can almost hear like the outrage in their voice. Like, how could you? Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Because I will. I will. Like, just like Elijah, I'll call it down. But Jesus turned and rebuked him. Like, dude, chill. Chill. They went on to another village. So Jesus rebuked them. But at the same time, he encouraged their boldness and their commitment to the hard truth by giving him this name, the sons of thunder. Like, that's what I'm talking about, but like, not now. This nickname, sons of thunder, was an affirmation of how God created them and how one day they would refine those gifts into a more effective presentation of the truth other than just calling down fire to burn people who disagree with you 
And that's going to be included in the New Testament. Like John gets a whole gospel and then he gets to write 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. And he even gets to write the book of Revelation. And James gets a book and these are the sons of thunder. And so we're going to read one of those passages from John, a son of thunder, who will very lovingly and boldly put us in our place. All right? Now, with that as the context, let's read verse by verse this scripture. 1st John 5 and 1. He starts by saying, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. So let's stop there. This is what I see in these verses. I just see love, love, love. Lots of love, love going around. We're loving God. We're loving his children. It's great. Kind of sounds like a utopia. Everybody love each other. It's awesome. But in the next verse, he brings a thunder crash with a summary of what that means to love. Verse 3. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands. Oh, we didn't like that. No amens on that one. (laughs) To keep his commands. All right, good. So here's the summary. Love for God equals obedience. And this is the kind of statement that really puts you in your place. Right? How many have ever had a kid be like, Daddy, I love you. And you're like, clean your room. Why don't you just do what I say? I love you, Daddy. Either you're obeying or you're not. Obedience is kind of like a bad world today, right? It seems like it's more of a burden. There's, there's a, an authority problem in our world. Nobody likes to, not nobody, but most people have a problem with authority. Nobody really wants to hear that. And most of our society, in fact, is encouraging and even celebrating lifestyles that intentionally disobey God. And this is nothing new per se. It's been going on for thousands of years. But what is new today is that this movement still claims to love God even in their disobedience. I know what God says. I'm going to do the opposite. But I love God. John says, you love God? Keep his commands. What's cool is that he's actually taking this straight from the teachings of Jesus. Jesus said this. He's just quoting Jesus. If you go to the book of John, John's gospel, in chapter 14, Jesus is speaking in verse 15, and he says, listen, y'all, if you love me, great, keep my commands. Skip to verse 21. Whoever has, has my commands and keeps them as, is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I, too, will love them and show myself to them. Okay, so any questions? Right, like... You love me, keep my commands. Obedience, love equals obedience. Going back to 1 John, no. So look how he follows up this bold statement. I'll read verse 3 again. In fact, this is love for God to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Oh, well, that's kind of cool. What do you mean by that? Turns out that obeying God is the opposite of what we thought it would be. Can anybody testify of that being true in your life? We are like, I didn't want to obey God, but then I just like finally surrendered. It's like, fine. And you're like, 
You're, yep, you're right. This is way better. Turns out it's not a burden. It's a privilege. Now, for a lot of us, though, like I said, we, there's like an anti-authority culture that we live in. And, and maybe you have good reason for that. Maybe you've had a bad boss or a bad dad or something like that. And, and you have good reason not to trust authority. And you might be saying, but how can you say that? Matt? Like, how can John be saying this? Let me show you. Verse 4. He says, for everyone born of God overcomes the world. That sounds pretty good. He says, this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Everyone born of God overcomes the world. So I stopped right there. I just wrote this down. Obedience equals overcoming. Obedience equals overcoming. And I'm not just talking about overcoming anything. I'm not talking about, yeah, I overcame my spelling test and I got an A. Thank you, Jesus. I'm talking about overcoming the world. That sounds good, right? What does that mean to overcome the world? And, and this is something we do a lot in our apologetics classes. We talk about these really, really hard topics like, like abortion. This week we're talking about politics. We talk about LGBTQ, all these hard problems. And we go immediately to the beginning. We go back to Genesis. How did God create everything? What's the foundation? That's what we need to do right now. What does it mean to overcome the world? If you go uh, to Paul's letter to the Romans, he's talking about Genesis. In chapter 5, he says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who's that man? Adam, Adam and Eve. That sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. And so what we see there, this is like a a doctrine of, of Christianity. Sin brought death into the world. Sin brought death into the world. Before that, before they ate from the tree that God told them not to eat from, nothing died. Everything was beautiful and perfect. It was awesome. Nothing that you live forever. It's paradise. But then they just like, ooh, but man, that looks tasty. Ate it, and death showed up. Sin brought death into the world. And because of the original sin of Adam, The nature of the world that you and I live in now today is in a perpetual state of decline, deterioration, and everything ultimately leads to death. That's really bummer, right? That's like a really negative truth, but it's true. How many have ever had your kid uh, forget to bring his basketball or his soccer ball in and just left it in the yard for like four weeks? What happens to that ball? When they bounce it, they're like... It's dead. It's all, it's all like the, the sun has ruined it, and it's, it's flat, and it's ruined. Have, have you ever seen the, you know, your awesome neighbor who maybe leaves his car in his backyard for like 30 years? What happens to that car? The sun just deteriorates it, and it falls apart, and it's rusted, and there's holes. It's gross. Like every, that just happens to everything. Everything deteriorates and ultimately dies, including you and me, because sin brought death into the world. And when John says... We overcome the world. He's saying we overcome death. So love for God equals obedience, and obedience leads to overcoming the world or death. Hello, that's awesome. Amen. Right on, Pastor. Right on, John. Ready for another thunderous verse? Okay. Chapter, uh, verse 5. He asks a question. So, just in case we're wondering, who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one 
who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. I thought that all paths lead to God. I thought that all religions are basically the same thing. We're all going to the same place. Jesus isn't the only way. I thought you were talking about love. Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Boom, thunder. Let me ask you, just see if you're paying attention. Who do you have to believe in to overcome the world? Jesus. Excellent. In the context of John's teaching, there is an implication that belief in Jesus is synonymous to following Jesus. Therefore, the question is, can you believe in Jesus without obeying Jesus? There's confusion in those answers. Well, another scripture says that even the demons believe in Jesus and shudder. Yeah, you can believe that he exists, but that's not what he's saying here. He's saying, follow, obey. It's not enough to call yourself a Christian. You need to follow. You need to lay your life down. You need to obey. See what I'm saying? So, therefore, therefore, can you overcome the world or death without obeying Jesus? No. Here's the summary. Love for God equals obedience to his commands. Obedience equals overcoming the world. Really just bottom line, simple stuff. Thunderous, though. And we can see now that John has grown a lot since that day when he's like, I'm just going to, let me call down fire, Jesus. We'll burn him up. Nobody talks to my Jesus like that. He's grown a lot. He's learned the art of effectively putting us in our place. Instead of just calling down fire from heaven, if you disagree with Jesus now, he's still bringing the thunder, but he's making a case that we can understand and get on board with. Because you hear these statements, and, and it may make you feel uncomfortable, like, oh, that's a challenge. But, like, I'm kind of open to it. I'm, my heart is listening, right? That's what he's, he's doing awesome. Isn't it really cool, though, when you think about side note, that even though Jesus rebuked him, like, dude, we're not going to call down fire. Stop. Chill. He did, though, later give John revelation. And what happened in Revelation. Fire from heaven comes down and burns. It's like, you don't get to do it now, but you're going to get to write it down. And everyone's going to study it for the next couple thousand years until I come again. Like, dude, that's awesome. I think that's awesome. Okay. Verse 6. This is the one who came by water and blood. Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but water and blood. All right. What does that mean? Water and blood. What is he talking about? Okay, so there are a lot of different ideas about what John is referring to here. And suffice to say, there's not a clear answer. But I will share what I think are some of the best possibilities that I found through my research. And the following is a, a summary explanation from a ministry called Enduring Word, where they've just, they gathered all the different interpretations of this one verse and, and listed it, and it's like, you can decide whatever you want. But, um, so I have those here, and I'm just gonna read the two that I think are the best, okay? So the first one says, some believe the water spoke of Jesus' first birth, 
being born of the waters of the womb, right? The Virgin Mary, just like you and I, we all came through the water birth. And blood speaks of his death on the cross. If this is the case, John would be essentially writing, Jesus was born like a man and died like a man. He was completely human, not some super spiritual being who had no real contact with the material world. And you might be thinking like, okay, why is that important? It's actually a pretty big deal because back in the day, the first church, there was, there was a movement, a theological movement, where the Gnostics in John's day thought of Jesus as just such a spiritual being. They didn't actually believe that he was fully God and fully man. They were just like, oh, he was fully God, but he was like, it was like a, like a trick, a magician's trick. He, wasn't, he didn't have flesh and bone like you and I. No, 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 no. We believe that he actually was fully man. And when he was, when they put nails in his hands, it hurt, right? And when they put a crown of thorns, it hurt. And when they mocked him, it broke his heart like, you, like it would for you and me. Right? He was fully God and fully man. That's one of the interpretations. Another one is this, uh, he who came by water and blood. Probably the best explanation, though there are good points to some of the other ideas, is the oldest recorded Christian understanding of this passage first recorded by ancient Christian Tertullian, the ancient Christian, most likely John means the water of Jesus' baptism. I hadn't thought about it. I was like, oh, yeah, because he got baptized in water, just like everybody did today, and the blood of his crucifixion. So same, same interpretation of the blood when he died, different water interpretation. When Jesus was baptized, he was not baptized in repentance for his own sin. Why? Because he had none. But because he wanted to completely identify with sinful humanity. When he came by water, it was his way of saying, I'm one of you. Isn't that cool? When Jesus died on the cross, he did not die because he had to, because death could have no power over him. But he laid down his life to identify with sinful humanity and to save us from our sin. So when he came by blood, it was so that he could stand in our place as a guilty sinner and to take the punishment our sin deserved. Pretty awesome. So in my opinion, those are the two that I thought were the best. But to be honest, it's not totally clear. People disagree about that, and that's fine. So that happens sometimes when you're reading Scripture. And the best thing to do in these instances is just to keep reading to gain further context. So let's do that. Let's keep going to verse 6. Everybody doing okay? All right. Verse 6. And it is the Spirit who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. Boom. Love that. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, water, and the blood. These three are in agreement. We accept human testimony. Cool. But God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his son. Now, this is a really interesting point that John is making. And he's respectfully but boldly putting us in our place again. He's saying, while what people say about Jesus carries value, it does, it doesn't even compare to what the Spirit says about Jesus. In other words, the Spirit's testimony is greater than man's testimony, okay? And this is so important for us to grasp 
Because we can so easily get lost in the land of man's opinions. And it can create confusion and division when everyone has an opinion about who God is like. I just believe that God was like the most loving. He just loved to cuddle and snuggle with people. Well, I believe that he was the funniest guy at the party. Well, I believe he was always wherever. He was just a very prayerful man. Well, I believe he was really good at finances. It was like, oh my gosh. Those all may be true, but like it just, everyone has an opinion and it can kind of actually cause some confusion. The Spirit's testimony is above all of that. Again, this is not to say that man's testimony is worthless. It's not. In fact, remember I talked about Revelation. In Revelation it says that we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. Paul says that if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. That's why we have people in the baptism this morning confessing with their mouth. We ask them these specific questions on purpose because of the power of testimony. Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Yes. Testify. Confess. Do you believe that God raised him from the dead and he died to forgive you of your sins? Yes. Upon your confession of faith, we now baptize him. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Yay, bye. Right? That's where that comes from. There's power in the testimony of the believer. But John is reminding us of our place in the power structure. There is a hierarchy here. The Spirit's testimony is greater than human testimony. And it's important for us to keep that straight. Okay? At the end of the day, with all the different opinions out there, I'm just going to believe what God says. Right? That's a good rule of thumb. I'm just going to believe. If God said it, I believe it. The opinions, I'm not going to get too involved in all that. I just believe what God says. Amen? Amen. Verse 10. We're doing good. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Boom. I'm going to read that again. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar. Because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. This is my summary of that verse. Believe in Jesus or you make God a liar. Believe in Jesus or make God a liar. And the thunder crashes again, right? There's fighting words in today's culture. Remember, John is not a passive dude. He is not a beta male. He, he's like holding back fire from heaven type of thing. He's getting right down to the brass tacks, black and white. Either you believe in Jesus or you're making God a liar. God is not a liar. And so when, when he says that this is the only way, it is the only way. It is loving to tell the truth. We talk about that in apologetics all the time. It is loving to tell. So therefore, it's not loving to not tell the truth, to let somebody believe that, hey, all paths lead to God and, and you know, just do you. Your truth is your truth. That is not loving. I loved, uh, dude, that song this morning, I had to look up the, the, the verses. So good. No, the bridge. Praise you because you're sovereign. Praise you because you reign. Praise you. Praise because you rose and defeated the grave. Praise because you're faithful. Praise because you're true. 
Praise because there's nobody. Your testimony greater than you. Praise the Lord. Woo! Come on. Come on, worship team. Praise him because he's true. Good gracious. That was, it's a good morning. Okay. Where was I? Don't make God a liar. Okay. Next verse, 11. And this is the testimony God has given us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. Any questions? Boom, boom, thunder just roaring through the sky. Here's a summary in case you're struggling to connect the dots. If you have Jesus, you have what? If you don't have Jesus, you don't have life. Putting us in our place. Thunder puts you in your place. But aren't you glad? Aren't you glad he's not calling down fire? It's actually a very loving thing to be told where you need to stand. These are the boundaries. These are the expectations from God. Either you're in or you're out. Either you're with me or you're against me. That's so loving. And many of us, maybe there's some of you here that, that came to church and, and you believe. You've always kind of believed that there, Jesus is there, but like you're not really following. Like I believe, but I don't really obey. I got one foot in both places. And there is a semi-truck coming right down the highway at you. And John is boldly and lovingly declaring the words of Jesus who says, let me get that leg out of that spot and let that semi pass by so you don't get run over. Either you have life or you don't. Either you overcome the world or you die. The only way to overcome the world is through believing and following and obeying Jesus. This is love. This is thunderous uh, noise from heaven putting you in your place. Didn't you stand up straight? Yep, yep, yep. I got it. I got it. My bad. My bad. I'm ready to obey. I'm ready to overcome the world. I believe that God brought you here today to make that decision. It's a decision time. We're grateful that we all have life. And if you've you got breath in your lungs, man, you are like one in a billion. It's so unlikely that you would, you would have the miracle of life to even be here today. That's how unlikely it is. It's like a one in a billion shot. But you are here. And praise God, you have time. God has given you this life to figure it out. Because the temptation to disobey is strong. Been there, do it all the time. I'm, I know what that feels like, but I have resolved in my heart, I'm gonna obey God with all my heart. And when I can't, I'm calling on him. I'm calling on him for help because he's more than able, as we sang today, to do immeasurably more than we can ask or imagine. So we don't do this on our own strength. We don't just earn this salvation. We're saved by grace, through faith, not by works. And you need the help of the Holy Spirit to help you start obeying the Lord. You can't do it on your own. I believe God has brought you today to finally make that decision because you know what? Even though he's given you this life as a chance to work it out, you never know when your life is gonna end. Anybody got that date written on the calendar? No. So it would be foolish to not make that decision now. This is the moment. 
We say, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna stop straddling the fence, get that foot out of the disobedience category. I'm gonna get put in my place. Thank you for the thunder. <laughs> 